0: So my topic this morning is thanklessness. <clears throat> so I thought that we would look at, first we'd look at a story, an event that happened in the life of Jesus. And then we're going to look at some of the words of Paul. And we're going to talk about the significance of thanklessness. So if you've got your Bibles, and I know you do, let's turn to Luke 17. And we'll start with verse 11. So this is one of those interesting stories that happened in the life of our Lord, but he's incredibly instructive about this topic of thanklessness. So we talk about the lepers, the ten lepers. In fact, it's really the nine and the one. And uh, the Lord's going to have a lot to say about thanklessness. So we'll pick up in verse 11. And it came about while he was on the way to Jerusalem that he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. So let's let's stop just a moment and think about why was Jesus on the way to Jerusalem? Does anybody know what was about to happen or why was he on the way to Jerusalem? What was his purpose? To be handed over? To be handed over, yeah. We just have to flip over one chapter to Luke 18, and if there's any doubt, verse 31, he says, And he took the twelve aside and said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and all the things which are written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished, for he will be delivered up to the Gentiles and will be mocked and mistreated and spit upon. And after they have scourged him, they will kill him. And the third day he will rise again. And they understood none of these things. And this saying was hidden from them, and they did not comprehend the things that were said. Isn't that amazing? It's always amazing to me if Jesus says, look, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to be over to the priests. I'm going to be scourged. I'm going to be mocked. I'm going to be hung on a cross. Third day, I'm going to rise again. But you know the Lord hadn't really opened their eyes yet, Hetty. But I think it's important to think about the setting of this scene, what was going on, because Jesus is heading to die. He's heading to bear the penalty for our sins, and yet all through his life, even while he's heading to Jerusalem, he's ministering to people. He's healing people. Uh, I can only imagine if it had been me and I'd have known that I was about to be nailed to a cross, the most ignominious, horrible means of execution of the day. How I'd have been thinking. I wouldn't have been thinking about other people, right? I'd have been thinking about what's about to happen to me, but Think about this as we're studying what Jesus is about to do. So it says he was heading to Jerusalem and he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. So I don't have a map up here, but if you think about, we're all thinking about the Middle East right now, aren't we? But Galilee is far to the north, right? And just south of Galilee is Samaria and just south of Samaria is Judea and Jerusalem. So Jesus is coming out of Galilee and he's passing down through towards Jerusalem. And it's kind of interesting. We're going to talk about Samaria in a moment, but most of the Jews would not pass the way, And move this for my trip, would not pass the way that our Lord did. Most of them, because they hated the Samaritans, would pass a different route. There was a big highway between Galilee and Samaria that they could pass through. It's likely that's where Jesus was passing through as he's coming through Samaria. They would cross the Jordan, go through the desert just to avoid Samaria. So what what was it about Samaria that caused the Jews to hate them? It's kind of important in this story.
1: Where Assyria deposited the other nations after they had, uh, uh, I can't remember the king of Assyria, uh, that overthrew Jerusalem and
0: took them all away. Sargon II. You can't remember that. <laughs> Clark, you did pretty well. <laughs> but Clark's right. So Samaria was the capital of the northern kingdom, right? After the after Israel divided into the northern southern kingdoms and Jeroboam became the first king of the northern kingdom, Samaria was their capital. And so the Assyrians in 722 conquered and defeated the northern kingdom. So some of the Jews stayed behind in Samaria but they intermarried with the Assyrians. So they developed their own religion. They had their own version of the first five books of the, of the law, the Torah, but they were hated by the Jews because they were intermixed and intermarried and they weren't, they weren't the pure tribe, right? They still weren't pure Jews. So they were very despised. But isn't it interesting that our Lord ministered to the Samaritans so often? Uh, Think about the woman at the well. Even John, in that story, the woman at the well, talks about how the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. But again, this is so typical of our Lord is he didn't avoid the Samaritans, the tax collectors, the sinners. He went right to them and ministered. And I think that's kind of important. It's one of these details we kind of miss in this story, but the Lord didn't cross the Jordan to go through the desert. He went right through Samaria because he was gonna minister to the Samaritans, even on the way to Jerusalem, on the way to the cross. So, he's passing this way. In fact, there was this big highway, as I mentioned, that he could pass through. He's passing through, and Luke says in verse 12, as he entered a certain village. Now, Luke doesn't tell us the name of that village. It's probably not significant, but it's just some village. But what is significant is what happened in that village there met him ten leprous men who stood at a distance and they raised their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So there are ten men who have leprosy. So what is the significance of leprosy? What is the significance of that disease to someone's life? Because they're ostracized. Yeah, ostracized. Because it was a dreaded, horrible disease, right? I mean, it, it, it's what we currently call Hansen's disease. It's, it's by a microbacterium leprae. It's what it's called. It affects the nerves, causes severe inflammation of the nerves, severe skin disease. It's written about in the Old Testament, right, in Leviticus and Numbers. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But, But it was a horrible disease. And because of the nature of the disease, those people who had leprosy were... Ostracized, as you said, from the community. They were ostracized from everybody. Think about it. If you had leprosy, you were forced to segregate away from your family. You couldn't be with your wife. You couldn't be with your children. You couldn't be with your friends. You couldn't worship in the temple any longer. You were separated. You were in a community. And basically, you were in a community with people where you're going to die with these people, right? You're going to die with these people. And that's it. That's your life. think about, it's really kind of a most horrible death that may go on for decades, that these people are separated. It's absolutely destroyed and changed their lives. So we've got 10 men Not in... Not physically, but mentally. I'm sorry? Not only physically, but mentally. Sure, absolutely, Joseph, that's right. So we've got 10 desperate men, 10 men who have leprosy, and it, what happens, and it, We're going to talk about this in a moment, but this may be a combination of Samaritans and Jews, right? Because when you have this kind of disease, maybe all these other things tend to go away, and this is kind of your community of people who you fellowship with. So there are these ten men who hear that Jesus is coming. and We know that the news kind of spread widely, didn't it? When Jesus was traveling, the news that Jesus was coming would spread widely throughout the communities. Because Jesus healed people. Jesus gave people hope. He did all these miracles. You know, we know this because even Herod said he'd heard of Jesus' miracles and he wanted to see Jesus. But these men had heard, I'm sure, that Jesus is coming. So what would have been going through your mind if you had leprosy and you knew that the Lord Jesus was coming on the way and he was coming by your village? How would you have responded to that? Oh. Hope. That's exactly right. You had a hope because you knew that he made the blind to see, he raised the dead, the deaf could hear, he healed lepers. They knew this is our only chance. It's like you've got an incurable brain tumor and somebody comes up with a cure. You want to meet this doctor. You want to get healed by them. That's the situation with these ten, ten lepers. This is their only hope to change their lives. And they cry out to him, They stood at a distance, Luke tells us, because they were required to stand at a distance. And they're crying out. Can you hear them? Just hear them. Lord Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. They're crying with all their heart and soul that He would hear them, that He would take heed and notice of who they are. Because they know that He's their only hope. And what happens? Look at verse 14. And when he saw them, when Jesus saw them, what did he do? He said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. Now, it's kind of interesting. What did Jesus normally do when he healed people? He touched them. That's right. people... Cling to him. They crowded around. You think about the lady who had the hemorrhage, the constant hemorrhage. She grabbed a hold of the hem of his garment that she might be healed, and they were healed. Normally, people glommed around our Lord. In fact, sometimes so many people glommed around him that the houses were so crowded that they could probably hardly breathe, and they had to let people down from the roof. But this is different, right? These are the lepers. It's not that our Lord, I think, was at all afraid. To touch these people, he wasn't afraid to touch these people. It's just that he had a purpose and a point. He said to them, "Go and show yourselves to the priests." Now, why would he say that? Why would the Lord say, "Go show yourselves to the priests"? What is about leprosy? If you think about the Old Testament, they had to be judged clean. Yeah, exactly. Go back to Leviticus fourteen, like verses one through thirty-two. And in Leviticus 14, the priests, actually I always think it's funny because the priests were the original dermatologists <laughs> and in the scriptures, right? There's all this detail about how the priests are to look at the skin lesions and determine, because some of the skin lesions may not have been leprosy, right? So the priests had to look at the skin lesions to determine, is this truly leprosy? And they were, the Lord gave them intricate laws that they could help understand this. <clears throat> but as Clark said, ultimately, it was the priest who was the one who could declare somebody clean. Can you imagine what that meant when somebody's declared clean? You've been ostracized from your family, right? You haven't been able to be with your wife or your children or your friend or anyone at all. You've been cut off from the community. And the priest says you're clean. Your life has changed. It's like it's like when the physician comes and says, there's no more sign of cancer on these CT scans. You're clear of disease, right? This is exactly the way it was with these lepers. So Jesus has a purpose in this. He wants, I think, these lepers to go as a testimony and a witness to the priests, to the community of what he has done. But it's kind of interesting. They weren't yet healed, were they? Jesus didn't just say, be healed of your leprosy. He said, go and show yourselves to the priests. So what happened? They turn and they walk to go to the priests. And what happens to them? What what do we see in verse 14? They were cleansed. cleansed. Can you imagine this? R.C. Sproul's got a great sermon on this passage that I just love. R.C. says they're walking along the way. and, And, you know, it took some hope in Jesus to understand this, you know, that that. That They are going to walk. They're not yet cleansed. But as they're walking in the way, they look at their hands because leprosy would cause your hands to curl in because of the, the nerve inflammation and all the skin disease. Their hands are uncurling. They're looking at their hands. It's all gone. It's all gone. They're looking at one another's faces. It's all gone. Can you imagine as the ten are looking at one another and saying, we're healed. We're healed. Can you imagine the rejoicing and the hugging, the joy that went through their hearts because they realized he has healed us, right? He has healed us. Their life has changed, right? This is literally, again, like having a death sentence and then having a reprieve. Everything has changed now. Your life has changed. You're now going to be able to be back with your family and with your community. So what happens The whole story turns now, starting in verse 15. So now we're going to talk about thanklessness and thankfulness, because that's the point of this story. That's the point of this miracle that our Lord did. Look in verse 15. Now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice, and he fell On his face at his feet, giving thanks to him, and he was a Samaritan. One man out of ten turned around. You know, can you imagine that that one man who turned around? I doubt he did it a lot. He must have said to the others, We gotta go back. We gotta go back. We gotta thank him. We gotta praise him. God has done this but only one turned back, and what? He was a Samaritan. He wasn't even one of the faithful tribe, right? He was a Samaritan. It's no doubt that this was a mixed group. There had to have been Jews in this group of ten. The other nine, all the other nine, may well have been Jews themselves who were supposed to have been faithful in giving praise to God, but it was the significance, it was the Samaritan who turned back. And not only did he turn back He turned back, as Luke says, glorifying God with a loud voice. Can you hear this man? Praise God! He's praising God. I'm healed. Praise God. And who is he praising? It's Jesus, right? He fell at the feet of Jesus, giving Him thanks. And the word that Luke uses there for giving thanks is used 38 times in the New Testament. And every time, it's used to God. It's used giving thanks to God. So what is this Samaritan acknowledging when he's giving glory to God, he's praising God, and he's falling at the feet of Jesus? What's he acknowledging about Jesus and what Jesus has just done? His deity. His deity. He's acknowledging that Jesus is God. That this is the power of God who's working through Him to heal him. This is his act of faith. We'll talk about this in a moment, but this is his act of faith, acknowledging that this has happened because of the power of God. Verse 17. Jesus has a response to this, right? Jesus has a response to the faith of the Samaritan and the faithlessness and thanklessness of the other nine. And Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Isn't it poignant? Jesus says, now wait a minute. Can you think of this? There were ten of you guys out there who were healed of leprosy. All of you were in the same boat, right? You had this death sentence, basically, in life. But I only see one here. Let's turn over the rocks. Where are the other nine? Where are these men, right? They're nowhere to be found, are they? Nowhere to be found. And again, what's sad about this is the one who returned is the Samaritan. And Jesus is going to point this out. The other nine who were doubtless part of the Jews and faithful, supposedly faithful, didn't return to give thanks to God. Can we just think about that in our own situations? How many times has God done amazing, incredible things for us and we have failed to give Him thanks? We have failed to give Him glory. We have failed to give Him the praise, right? That's what's happened in this situation. It's just the One who's returned that He might give glory to God. Verse 18, Jesus' rebuke. Were none found who turned back to give glory to God except this foreigner. (laughs) Isn't it poignant? It's the foreigner. But this is our Lord, right? The Lord went to the foreigners. How many times did the Lord heal Samaritans? How many times did the Lord heal the Syrophoenician woman, the Greeks, the tax collectors, this is who he went to. There's no, no implication here that Jesus didn't love this Samaritan or this foreigner. He's just pointing out this fact. Those who are supposed to be faithful, those, us, good evangelicals, right, who are supposed to be faithful, they were not faithful. They didn't recognize the power of God or give glory to God. But this man, who's not supposed to even do these things, this foreigner, he's the one through whom God has worked, and he's giving glory to God now. So, this is the poignant aspect of this story. And what, verse 19, and he said to him, Rise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Right? It's Christ who made him well, but what again does Jesus say about this man's thankfulness and his honoring God? He says it's his... Faith that has made Him well, right? So what Jesus is saying to us is our thankfulness, our recognition of who God is, is a core part of our faith. Our faith. And if we're true believers, we have to exhibit this kind of thankfulness, this kind of gratitude to God for the things that He has done in our lives. Turn over with me to Romans chapter 1. I want to look at this passage too. Paul's going to address this very thing of thanklessness. So we'll look at verse 21. But you know this passage well, right? Romans 1 18 through 32, where Paul talks about the downward spiral of paganism, of sin, of decadence, right? Paul talks about how people who don't honor God fall into this great downward spiral of horrible sin, and God gives them over to their passions and their lusts. But there's an interesting comment that Paul makes in verse 21 For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks but they became futile in their speculations and their futile and their heart, foolish heart was darkened. So there are two core sins in here that Paul says really lie right at the foundation of all of this downward moral spiral into sin. What are they? What are the two sins here in this this verse that Paul says? Two things that these people do They're at the core of their dark, hardened minds and hearts. Say,
1: Joseph.
0: They didn't give they didn't honor God as God, right? And what the the hard thing is, Paul says, For even though they knew God, right, this is the witness to us. There is general revelation, right? There's general revelation that all men are held accountable before God, right? That the heavens declare the glory of God. The conscience of man declares the glory of God. God has not left anyone without a witness. That everybody is responsible to know God, right? And Paul says that they know God. For even though they knew him, they did not, first off, honor him as God. That is, worship him as the creator now general revelation is not sufficient for salvation that's what we call special revelation right and that comes through the word of God and that comes ultimately through our Lord Jesus Christ who is the ultimate revelation of God that's what's sufficient for salvation but every man is held responsible because they should know God and they should honor him as God and what else so they don't honor him as God The God who made them, the God who's the ruler and sovereign of the universe, and the other thing. And they don't give thanks. Isn't that amazing? To me, that's just amazing. That giving thanks is at the core of this too. And why is that? Why do you think not giving thanks to God is at the core of these foundational sins? What is it about giving thanks? When we give thanks to God, what are we doing? (laughs) that you're recognizing uh, your own condition that
1: you were provided something you were unable to provide yourself
0: in this context. Yeah. And we could tie that right back to the story we just studied in Luke 17, right? That that's what happened to the leper. He recognized that Christ did something for him That he could never do. And only God could do this. Only he could do this. And he came back to give thanks, recognizing all of those things. That's worship. That's faith. That's realizing it's not in me, it's in him who's done this, right? Yeah. So I want to talk, I'm going to leave us time to study and talk in our groups, but I want to talk for just a few minutes about how do we develop a heart. Of thankfulness, men. How do we not be like the nine lepers who are unthankful, who are thankless, you know, who are the the good evangelicals, I'll say, you know, because that's our tendency, right? The thing I would say first off, men, is it's a heart attitude, right? Thankfulness is a heart attitude, and how do we develop that kind of heart attitude? There's a few principles, I would say, First off, we have to recognize that everything comes from God. If you look at yourself right now, the clothes you're wearing, the clothes on your back, the money in your pocket, the job you're gonna go to earlier this morning, the wife, the kids, the home, everything you have, your health, everything you have comes from God. There's a verse that I ran across a number of years ago that I just, has helped me a lot. First Corinthians four, seven. Paul said, what do you have that you've not received? And he goes on to say, if you've received it, why are you boasting? But I've thought about that many times. What do I have that I haven't received? That is, what do I have, but that God has given it to me, everything. If you're successful in your job, God gave it to you. You know, if you're at the top of your profession, God gave it to you. Whatever you have, God gave it to you. And there's no reason to boast except to boast in him. James also said in James one seventeen, every good thing bestowed and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. The other thing we'll talk about here in a moment, too, though, is that means the good and the bad. That means everything we have that comes, comes from God. That means the hard things. God is sovereign, right? God is in control of everything. Everything that happens in our lives, He's purposed. He's purposed before the foundation of the earth. Romans 8 Let's look at Romans 8 28. We know these verses well. So, everything we have comes from God. Every event in our life has been planned by Him because of His sovereignty. (coughs) And we know that God causes all things to work together for good. All things. That's Paul's word, Pantides, everything, everything there is. God calls us to work together for good, to whom? To those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. That's his sovereignty, right? That's again, back to his electing sovereignty before the foundation of the earth. He planned it, he purposed it, so everything that happens in your life, everything he's given you is because he purposed it. You have to hold on to that core. That's the only way that we can be thankful in hard circumstances as well as good circumstances, to know that it's his purpose. And we have to understand and trust him. We'll talk about that too in a moment. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. That's his purpose too that we might be conformed to the image of His Son. So all those things He brings into our lives, the good things and the bad things, the all things, are for that goal that we can be like His Son, Jesus Christ. We have to trust in God's character. We must know our God and His attributes. We have to trust that this God, who's purposed all things, who's sovereign, He's full of loving kindness. He's full of mercy. He's full of compassion. He's full of goodness, faithfulness, wisdom, justice, holiness, truthfulness. I can't even begin to summarize God's attributes. God is even greater than all the attributes we can imagine, but this is what we have to know. We have to know and trust in our core who he is, if we're going to trust his sovereignty, if we're going to be thankful for everything he brings into our lives. We could go back to Romans 8, 38, 39. Well, we could even back up further. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? We have to understand that he is that full of love, compassion for us, that he didn't spare Jesus Christ, his own son, but he put him on the cross. He poured out his wrath on him for us. And you have to understand how much he loves his son, that fellowship that they've had from all eternity. He didn't spare him. That's the depth of God's love for us so that all these things he brings into our lives, he loves us. There's nothing that ever comes into our lives or that happens but that He loves us. And He wants us to be like Jesus Christ, His Son. The hard things, the brain tumors in our lives, when our wives die, when all these tragedies happen in life, God loves us. We hold on to that. He has a good purpose in all these things. He's going to conform us to the image of His Son. I'd say only by knowing Him, only by knowing these attributes and trusting in Him can we... Cling to him in the hard things and give him thanks. That's how we give him thanks when this bad news comes. When the doctor, I'm a doctor, right? When the doctor brings us bad news and says, the MRI doesn't look very good, the tumor's progressing, there's really not much we can do at this point, right? That's when we look in the core and we say, God, you love me. You've purposed all these things from before the foundation of the world. I trust in your loving kindness and your goodness. And you're going to use this to conform me to the image of my son. When we lose our job, all those things happen. That's what we can hold on to, the core, that he's not bringing evil. God's not letting these things happen out of control, but he's doing it for a purpose. And that allows us to give him thanks, even in hard circumstances, to say, God, I thank you. I don't understand it. This is hard, but I thank you because I know you love me. I know you're good and kind and you're going to conform me to the image of your son. So so how do we do this? How do we practice thankfulness daily? Jerry Bridges has... Have you, you guys read his book, Respectable Sins? It's a great book if you haven't. I took, a few years ago, I took some men through that chapter by chapter over a year or so, and uh, he talks about those sins that we as, that we as evangelicals, I'd say, We may not not be murderers or adulterers or all these other things, but we may get angry. We may be thankless, all these things. He, he, He says in that book, if you want to develop thankfulness in your life, there's a couple of verses you ought to memorize. One is Ephesians 5.20. Ephesians 5.20. Always giving thanks. For all things, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to God, even the Father. There's the all things right. Always giving thanks, always for all things, in our in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then First Thessalonians, five eighteen. This is the other really good verse to lock it in your mind. First Thessalonians five eighteen. In everything give thanks. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So this is what God would have us to do. This is God's will that we practice these things, that we give thanks in all things. In your prayers, you have to develop thankfulness as a habit, I think. So honestly, I I usually walk early in the morning because, and that's my prayer time. It's it's often in the dark, it's kind of nice because we kind of live in a semi-rural area. But, you know, literally, when I start praying to God in the morning, I thank him. I thank him, Lord, thank you for giving me a good night's sleep last night. Thank you my pager didn't go off. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I'm on call now. i got carrying the pager and the cell phone. But, um, but I thank you, God, thank you. I've got breath in my lungs. I literally do this. I've got breath in my lungs. I've got strength to walk. God, thank you. I'm almost 65. God, thank you I've got a mind <laughs> that I can still think and I can read your word. But, and I usually read the word before I walk and pray in the morning, but I thank him for those core things. I thank him for those basic things. I thank him for my wife. God, thank you. You gave me the wife. You gave me a godly woman. God, thank you for the children you've given me and the grandchildren. I do this in the mornings. It's never gets old. God never gets tired of hearing these things. But these are the things that you need to build into your life, into your prayer. Start out with thanks. Just go through the list of everything He's done for you. And you may be wrestling with hard things. God, thank you. We're wrestling with this trial. But thank you. We're going to see your grace in this. We're going to see your mercy in this. You're going to conform us to the image of Christ. That's a key way to start building that in your life. And then I'd also say throughout your day. Throughout your day as you see God's hand of mercy, just stop and pray. I mean, you may not be able to bow, you may be in public, but just stop in your heart and mind and say, thank you, God. Thank you, God, that you did this for me. Thank you, Lord. You just have to kind of build that into your core. It has to be just reflex coming out. And in your conversation, when you're talking with one another, say it. God did this for me. God did this for us. And we're so thankful that God did this for us. Publicly acknowledge before other believers. Make this part of your habit. Small groups are a great way to do it. You know, when we get around and pray together, we spend so much time often just talking about prayer requests. Praise God. Give thanks. Tell people, this is what the Lord did for me. And I'm so thankful that this is what the Lord did for me. In the Old Testament, they even had a sacrifice, uh, the Todah sacrifice. And you'll see it in the Psalms often. Psalm 22 is a good example. Psalm 22, where an event, it's a messianic psalm, but David had something that happened to him. I taught this you know, a year ago in Equip, but there was some event where David was almost killed. And at the end... He gave a sacrifice and this is what they would do at that sacrifice. They would, they would give the sacrifice, it would be a meal, the poor would come, but the point of that meal was they would stand up and praise God and give thanks to, to the God before the whole community for what he had done for them. So make this public, public, especially in situations, even like these, these kind of groups, but in small groups when you're praying, make giving thanks a core part of what you do. Every opportunity you have to publicly express thanks and praise to God is important. Just becoming kind of just a core part of your life. You know, I don't know about you, but I know men in my life. I've had many men in my life, older men who have been great mentors to me, including my father in law. Um, but Their life was marked with this sweetness and this gentleness and this love for Christ and this wisdom, but a core part of what I would see in their lives was thankfulness to God. Never bitterness, never ever bitterness, but they would always be thankful to God for all things that happened in their lives. So I'm going to stop and give us a little time to break up in our groups and just... um, talk about this, about thankfulness, about the scriptures that we've talked about this morning and how we can develop thankfulness in our lives. So let me just pray real fast and then we'll, we'll break up. You know what? Before I do that, I'm going to ask you guys something. In light of the things that we've been through in our church in the last week and a half, what are some things that you're thankful for? that you've seen this last week and a half? The incredible unity of our church and the gracefulness of our relationship with each other, how we do it in such
1: things as this.
0: It's been kind of like a death, hadn't it? You feel that way? We've just been suffering like a death. But it brings us together. It's right, Joseph. Thankful for the direction the leadership of the church has been driving us towards Christ, um, understanding how we should respond. Yeah, uh, thankful for the yes.
1: faithfulness of God and <clears throat> his church, his people, and most important to himself. Yeah, yes, I am from Wisconsin, guys. <laughs> so I'm new here. But I want to say thank you for this guy right here. Uh, It's been prayers for many years to come and see him. (laughs) He left my my church two years ago. He was in Wisconsin with his wife and his kids. And uh, finally I'm here with him. and It's been a blessing because God's plan, um, oh my gosh. Uh, it's, It's so much that he's given to me, his love and dedication for me to Enjoying my 60th birthdays tomorrow. And I cannot be more grateful to God for sending this guy to me. I appreciate you all of you guys because we're brothers in Jesus. I hope to stay that way until you come and get (laughs) us. Amen.
0: Thank you. Amen. Thank you, God. Thank
1: you. Thank you for the faithfulness of God to to bring our sins to light.
0: Yeah. Isn't that important? He's zealous for the purity of his church. Yeah. Dusty talked about that, and he? he is not going to let these things happen. He, and he's been faithful to us. Yeah, thanks, John. That's great. Who else?
1: I'm uh, appreciative of how, again, just to add on to that, the leadership of the church and how they handled it. Because I've been in churches where they did not handle sin the way it should have been handled, and the way, just Dusty, the courage, the boldness, yeah. and the tender, loving care his flock on how he dealt with that uh was very much appreciated at least on our end i'm sure everybody feels the same way yeah. and although it's very heavy but i appreciate the fact that just like what john said when sin is brought to light it brought fear to my heart you know and i'm very thankful on how just how he handled that very biblically he pointed us to scripture not time and time again during that speech and to me, that was, that was a gift. And just to be a part of this church, and just like what, um, uh, who said that? Unity. Uh, whoever said that, that was really, I think that's Justice. amazing. Yeah, just, that could easily have divided our church. Yeah. But I think by the grace of God and how the leadership handled this, man, I, I praise God for that.
0: Amen. Amen, brother. Thanks, Abel.
1: I think this is really a Romans 8.28 situation um, because we have the opportunity, and I'm so thankful that we have this opportunity to grow together as a church yeah. through this hardship. Yeah. Um, and, um, and it also allows us to focus on our own minds and our own sin yeah. And, and um, it is, is a great lesson to us all to, to get our ducks in a row, row. Yeah. And I I pray that it's also an opportunity for the family to strengthen through the hardship as well.
0: Oh David, you hit something so important. Is that, it's that kind of one of the first things is let every man take heed lest you know, that, that lest we fall to, right? Lest that we take heed to ourselves, you know, that we take heed to our walk with Christ, you know. Yeah. Joseph, what my wife regarding all this and having a conversation. no, I think we all walk
1: around with little packets of stones in our pockets. And we want to sometimes throw those stones. And the
0: moment that Dusty said this on stage, all the stones just went drawn to the ground. (laughs) (laughs) Because we can't throw the stones. Yeah.
1: It it just, it cut to the quick is what it really did.
0: Yeah. All our hearts.
1: A so, well, wonderful blessing. I can't. I can't, I can't just the, the blessing that we have. Have that type of return and response. of Our pastor. Yeah. Our church. And, yeah. The, I, and the elders behind that. Yeah. Just
0: so very thankful. Very thankful. This is good. We're not going to cut this off. Who else? Anybody else?
1: Thankful for God's promises when Christ says, Every gates of hell will not prevail. Yeah. And it's to see seeing that in action. It's what He said is true. And it's yeah. a blessing to see that. no matter what happened, His church, it's His church, not ours. He is
0: yeah. the head, no one else, and
1: He protects His church. He the promise of all these instructions that he's given us, He us to happen. And the fact that He gave us these detailed instructions when it comes to human elders, that's a blessing.
0: In God's sovereignty, we praise Him for that. When you said that, Alejandro, I've thought about this verse a lot these these last few days. Jude 24. Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make (laughs) you stand in the presence of His glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority for all time, now and forever. He's going to make us stand as Dusty said, Christ is glorious. You know what? Christ is glorious. And He is going to persevere us and persevere His church through all trials. And we're going to grow through these things. Anyone else? Why don't I let you guys break up in at least the last 10 or 15 minutes. We'll just spend in our groups and maybe pray together a little bit, but I'll close this. God, we thank You. God, I praise you for these men. I praise you for my brothers in Christ and thank you for them. How we encourage one another, but it's because of your Holy Spirit who lives in us. It's because of our great Savior who we worship. We're here in his name. We're here to be fed. We're here to hear from you and encourage one another. God, help us to walk with you this day. In Christ's name, amen.